Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 will be the text that we'll study from. Appreciate Owen and his reading of the text this morning. He did an excellent job. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. As we continue to study the parables of Jesus... And this morning we will look at the parable of the friend at midnight. The parable Jesus tells us here in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Let me ask you a question. To phrase our study and to kind of give us some context, I want you to imagine that you're at your home, and it's somewhere around midnight, and you begin to hear on the front door. I want you to think, What is it that would go through your mind? Some of you would maybe wake up and, well, some of you wouldn't wake up, but some of you maybe would wake up and say, did I hear what I think I heard? And maybe you would hear, yeah, somebody's at my front door. I wonder what would go through your mind, the next course of action or the things you would think you would say. Some of you would grab your trusty nighttime investigation piece out of the side uh, table beside the bed, and you may grab a flashlight with it to go look through the home. Some of you may think, uh, I'm going to grab my phone and check the doorbell camera and see who it is that is at my house. I wonder what you would do if someone knocked on your door at midnight. Now imagine that someone did. And then you found out whether it was by going to the front door and peeking through the little peek hole or checking your camera on your phone. You found out that it was a friend. Maybe not just any friend. Maybe it was a very close friend. Could be a friend in your neighborhood, a friend in your community, someone you've known for a long time. Maybe a friend from church that you know really, really well. How would we feel about that person knocking on our door at midnight? Well, that's exactly the parable that Jesus tells here in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It's called the parable of the friend at midnight. And Jesus, in this parable, teaches us a very important lesson about prayer. Our entire lesson this morning will be about the subject of prayer, because that's what Jesus brings up here in Luke 11. Now, this whole study that Jesus is going to take us through this morning is begun by a question that Jesus' disciples ask him. Now, I want you to see in verse 1 that Jesus was off praying, which was a common thing for Jesus. He often went off by himself and he would pray. But in this instance, Jesus was not by himself. It seems he was with his other disciples. And as he prayed, his disciples, when he finished, said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, as this interaction goes on, you and I learn a beautiful lesson about prayer. In that, prayer can be learned. Now, there may be occasions in our life where we pray more than other times. You've probably experienced this. Sometimes when there's a tragedy, we pray a lot more than in our normal walks of life. 
Maybe when we get a diagnosis from a doctor or someone we love gets a diagnosis from a doctor, we begin to pray much more than maybe we typically do. Prayer is something we all are involved in, but in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that prayer can be taught. It is no doubt that Jesus is talking to his disciples, men of Jewish background. Men who would have known that God expected the Jews to pray. In fact, it was the common practice of the Jews to pray regularly, every day, on a consistent pattern. The men whom Jesus is talking to, the ones who asked him to teach them to pray, they had known about the mechanics of prayer. They had known about the times of prayer. But when they saw Jesus pray, they realized, maybe I don't know so much about prayer. Prayer in our life can be taught. And maybe you and I know about prayer. We know what prayer is, and we know that we should pray. Even, we probably know some of the things that we should pray about, but maybe we've never actually learned to pray. Maybe as Jesus prayed. And that's what Jesus sets out to do in this parable, is to teach them how to pray. Now, he begins doing that by giving what we call the model prayer. And you can find that here in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 2, when he said, When you pray, say this. But you can also find it over in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives that same model prayer. It seems that these are two different instances, but Jesus still gives very similar prescriptions of not this is a prayer you should recite. Now, if you were like me growing up when I was uh, in sports, oftentimes before a game, the whole team would gather together and we would recite the Lord's Prayer together. That was a common practice. I don't know if that still happens today, but we did that when I was growing up. The Lord's Prayer is a great prayer for us to memorize, but it's not one that God intended for us to recite mindlessly. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says when he gives them that model prayer, he says, don't just recite repetitive words. Those are vain. They're meaningless. So the Lord's Prayer is not one that's intended for us just to constantly recite it without thinking about it, but it's a model. It's, it, it's like a form that I plug myself into and I pray about these things. And so he says in verse 2, Father, hallowed be your name, an exalting of God. God, you're mighty, you're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the God of the universe. Hallowed be your name. And then he says, your kingdom come. And uh, you'll notice that the English standard that I'm reading from, which is on the screen, and maybe some of the other translations differ in the wording here. That's because some of them have kind of borrowed some of the words from Matthew chapter 6. And there's some differences of the original documents. But the prayer models that of Matthew 6 nonetheless. They're very similar. He says, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive. We ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not in to temptation. The model prayer. Exalting God, praying that God's will be done, asking for God's daily provision, and asking that God help us to forgive others and that we not be led into temptation. Very common things every one of us should pray about. Now, it is after the model prayer that we're introduced to the parable, which is our first point of the lesson this morning, the parable. Because you find it in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. Jesus gives us a parable, and we call this parable the parable of the friend at midnight. And it models what I asked you to imagine just a moment ago. Because here's what happens. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 5. Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. 
For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, and the English standard says, because of his impudence, or the translation Owen read from, and the common translation of this is because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. In, Matt, in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, you have the parable of what we call the friend at midnight. Jesus sets forward this kind of funny illustration about a friend who at midnight wakes up and his friend has come on a long journey and has finally arrived at his house. And when he gets there, he realizes, oh no, my friend has come on this long journey. He's really hungry and I don't have anything to feed him. Now, what should I do? Hmm, I believe I'll go to my neighbor and see if he has any food that I could borrow to feed my friend. Now, I know in the scenario that I presented to you, if you woke up at midnight to a friend knocking on your door, you would expect for them to be bringing to you some sort of emergency. If they brought to you something that was not an emergency, you would probably not be too happy. <laughs> you woke me up at midnight to come ask for some bread. But you've got to remember in the first century, this was a culture that was prided on its hospitality. It was a cardinal sin of hospitality not to provide food for someone when they came to your home. And this man was very, very concerned about his friend who was visiting. Now, there's no doubt in this parable, the friend who had his door knocked on did not appreciate being awakened in the middle of the night for what seemed to be less than an emergency. You see, there was no one who had been robbed, his wife was not having a baby, and no one was injured or taken ill. This man was woken up for three loaves of bread. But there's more to it than just seeking a midnight snack. More to it than just some potential emergency, someone who's sick, or some kind of social issue. The parable teaches us a lesson. Now, the man wakes up his friend at midnight, and the man says to him, you'll notice in verse 6, a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And the man from within the house answered probably like many of us would. Go away. I'm in bed. Leave me alone. I want to go back to sleep. I don't have three loaves of bread for you. My children are in bed. If I get up, they will wake up. And you know what happens if a child gets woken up in the middle of the night and they stay awake for too long? Then you're up all night as well. Go away. I cannot help you. But... The Bible tells me here in this parable that when the friend told him to go away, he did not go away. Now imagine how frustrated you would be if you said, go away. I can't help you. You sure you don't have any bread? Come on, I really need some bread. You sure you're not going to get up? I really need to feed my friend. Eventually, because of persistence... Maybe even out of anger, you would get up and give your friend what he needed. That is the parable. Now, attached to the parable Jesus gives us in our second point this morning, not just a parable, but he couples this parable with a promise. If you look in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9, we see the promise of this parable. Here's kind of the principle that he wants us to understand here. The promise is this. 
I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks find, finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus, based on the parable, gives us a promise. When you and I come to God in prayer and we ask of him something, if we come to him in prayer and we are seeking something, or if we come to the figurative door of prayer and we knock on it, God will open that door. Now, let me lay out a couple of ground rules before we get to our final point this morning. Ground rule number one, let's understand what this parable does not mean. This parable does not mean that God, like the friend in the house, is annoyed by our prayers. Now, in the parable, the friend is annoyed by his friend who is constantly knocking, seeking three loaves of bread. God is not annoyed by our prayers. And we'll get to kind of the principle of why Jesus told this parable in just a moment. The next thing that this parable does not mean is that what we pray to God is granted to us because we wear God down. That's not what this parable is talking about. Now, the friend opened his door and gave him the bread because he wore him down. But that's not the point of prayer that Jesus is making. The third thing that, that this parable is not about is that God is not the proverbial gumball machine in which we place a quarter or our prayer, twist the key, and God's answer comes rolling down every time. When the Bible says that you and I are to seek, that we are to ask, and we are to knock... All of that is predicated on passages like found in 1 John chapter 5, where John says, we can have this confidence before God. If we ask things according to his will, he hears us. God will not answer a prayer in which we are asking him to fulfill some kind of sinful desire in our life. God will not answer a prayer in which I am asking him to do something in my life that is against the word that he's given me. God will not answer a prayer when I am praying something that is against what he has said he desires in my life. God answers and hears the prayers that are according to his will. And I know his will by opening the word. So the parable is not telling us I can get whatever I want out of the gumball machine of prayer. It's not telling me that God is annoyed by my prayers or that by praying so much I can wear him down eventually for God to answer it. Here is the principle that God gives us in this parable. And it's found in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. He says this, here's a parable about a man whose friend comes to his door at midnight. Here's the promise. You seek, you'll find it. You ask, it'll be answered. You knock, it'll be open. Everyone who does that will receive something from God. Remember, all that falls under the umbrella of God's will. So in verse 11, he says this, what father among you if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now let's define a couple of things as we kind of conclude what this parable means, and I kind of hopefully give you the thing that you can walk away into this week with out of the parable. 
A couple of things need to be defined. If you remember back up in Luke chapter 11 and verse 8, he said that his friend would not answer the door except that he was persistent. His persistence caused the friend to open the door to the home. The word persistence means shamelessness. It means a lack of shame or persistence. That's what the persistence idea of prayer is. The second thing we need to understand out of Luke chapter 11 in accordance with this parable is that Jesus uses three present tense imperative verbs in Luke chapter 11 beginning in verse 9. Ask, seek, and knock. Persistence, ask, seek, and knock. When I define those words as present tense imperative verbs, it means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And then in this final section, he makes a comparison to a father. So let's paint this all together and let's marry it with this idea of prayer. A friend comes to a man's house at midnight, knocks on it, asking for bread. A father's son asks him, in verse 11, for an egg, and he gives him an egg, not a scorpion. A, 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 son's, a son asks his father for a fish, and he gives him a fish, not a serpent. And Jesus says, if those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, if... A friend would come to a door at midnight because a friend is persistently knocking. How much more will the God of the universe hear you? A father knows how to give good gifts. I'll tell you this. None of us should ever, myself included, yourself included, paint even our own fathers as sinless, perfect individuals. Now, I know that some people in this life are not blessed with an amazing father and an amazing father figure. And for that, I'm very sorry. If you are not blessed with that, I, I know that that's very difficult. You've maybe had the opportunity to find that within the church. But a father figure can be a real blessing. But no father is perfect. Everybody this week has mentioned, hey, we're glad your dad's back. I'm glad my dad's back too. I love my dad. I'm glad that he's home. My father's not perfect. You know, he's done some things in his life that I think were really great, and he's made a great impact on the kingdom of God, but he's not perfect. But here's the thing I know about my father. I could stop my sermon right now, go out in that lobby and call him, and he'd be here in two and a half hours. I know that. Now, my father, who is evil, his sin in his life, he's a man that's been forgiven by Jesus but still makes mistakes, and maybe you could classify your father in that same realm. While I know that if I go in that lobby and call his number, he'd be here as quickly as he could, even he does not compare to the Father in heaven. The parable of the friend at midnight is used to illustrate to us in the parable and the principle and the promise that a friend comes to the door for his friend because of persistence. A father gives a good gift to his son because he loves him. How much more will the God of the universe answer my prayers when I come before him? The principle in Luke chapter 11 is persistence. 
like the prodigal son's father who stands on the porch watching and waiting for his son to come home. God, as our father, stands waiting to hear the prayers of his children. My question to you this morning is, what does your prayer life look like? Does it look like the friend who stands at his friend's door and knocks? Does it look like the son who has absolute faith in his father that he'll deliver? Is that the way that we trust and believe in God? You and I must be persistent in our prayers. Now, persistence is an interesting thing. It's the idea of shamelessness, which a lot of people point out that the shameless nature of this persistence is that I come before God and I don't put up a front when I pray to him. I am shameless. In fact, I leave all of the covers of this world that I put in front of other people to make them think I have no sin. I leave those behind and I come to God exposing all of my issues. I come before him and I'm 100% real. It's who I am, God. I need your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness. I come before God with persistence. But the neat thing about persistence is persistence truly shows our heart. You ever had buyer's remorse? You ever gone out and you bought something and then immediately you come home and you're like, oh man, I hope they take that back. <laughs> I really regret buying that. You ever had buyer's remorse? Kids are the great example of buyer's remorse. You ever been walking through the store and a kid sees a toy and they come to you and they're like, dad, I want this. I've wanted this my whole life. I've been thinking about this ever since I was a baby. I have always wanted this. And then if you tell them no, they put it back and they really never bring it up again. You know, they forget that they wanted it. Now, um, Persistence is also the other way with children. Um, Sidon lost a mask that he bought at Dollar Tree. Very important mask. And he lost it at my mom's house. Now, this whole time that my dad has been out of the country, I've been FaceTiming and calling my mom, you know, multiple times every day. And every time I'm on the phone with my mom, Sidon will come in the room and he'll say, hey, did you find my mask? Because he lost it at her house. And for like two weeks, two or three times a day, he would ask her. He was persistent. Persistence reveals what's truly in our heart. When we're persistent about something, it reveals truly what I want. Because there are times as people that things can pass across our radar and we're like, yeah, I want that. God, could you answer that prayer? But then as that thing passes by, we don't actually want it as much. You ever heard that old song, thank God for unanswered prayers? Aren't you glad that there are some prayers that God knows we don't need a yes to? God, our Father, knows exactly what we need. What does my prayer life look like? Does it look like persistence? Does it look like consistency. You notice in this parable that constantly Jesus brings out the idea of consistency. We need to pray to God. The friend came at midnight, regardless of the time of day, and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked. How often do I pray every single day? I think that's a great question I need to ask myself. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, prayed three times to God with his windows open. There are times in the Bible where people are told to pray and pray and pray and pray. And it doesn't matter where you are, right? You don't have to be at home to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says we need to pray in a private place. But there's tons of examples in the Bible, right? Uh, Jonah prayed from the belly of a, of a fish. I don't know if you've ever been in the belly of a fish, but if you are, you better pray while you're there. Jonah did. He prayed from the belly of the fish. Second Chronicles talks about men, a whole army praying from the battlefield. You've got so many examples of people praying. The consistency of my prayer is so important. How often do I talk to God? Because persistence is an indicator of my soul's confidence in God. How often do I pray? The point of the parable of the friend at midnight is that God will answer the prayer of his children. But we've got to come and pray to him. 
And I know that's a simple answer to a parable, but Jesus wanted to illustrate to his disciples after they asked him, what should we pray? He says, this is what you should pray, but you need to pray with consistency. How often has my prayer life reflected consistency? Maybe that hasn't been the case for you, and this morning's the time you want to make that change. You want to make your prayer life a prayer life of consistency. You want to be consistent with God. Maybe you need to be more of a prayerful person. I know that there are probably times in the past you can say, I could have been more prayerful, but guess what? You can't change what happened in the past, so all you need to do is look forward. I need to make sure that from now on I'm praying to God as I should. As, as Paul said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we need to pray without ceasing. What's your prayer life look like? I hope it looks good. If not, this is a great moment to fix that. You can start today by praying more consistently. Consistency. With more consistency. You can pray more persistently. You can be more honest, direct, and upfront with the Lord about my prayers. And I can pray to him knowing that he always answers his children. I challenge you this morning to improve your prayer life. It may be strong. I want you to strengthen it further. It may be weak. I want you to make it strong. And it may be non-existent. I encourage you to start your prayer life this morning. Maybe the case is that you haven't been praying to God because you know there's a sin in your life and that's kind of been the barrier. You know that there's something you got to deal with but you don't want to deal with it and so you've just kind of kind of isolated yourself from God. We have an invitation song we're about to sing. If you need to come back to the Lord, take that barrier out of the way so that you can communicate with your Father in heaven. Whatever the case is, maybe you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to renew your faith as a Christian and rededicate your life to the Lord. Or maybe you just need to make a change in life and you need the prayers of the church. Remember, it's not just your prayers God hears. It's every man's prayer that is faithful to him. And God wants to hear the prayers of others on your behalf. If you need the prayers of the church, now's a great time to ask for them. Whatever the case is, we're going to have this invitation song. If you need to make something known, I encourage you to come as we stand and sing.